All right, so today we're going to be taking a little bit of a break from our study in Acts, and we're going to be in Galatians. Um, just need a little break this week, and I think that uh, this area of Scripture, hopefully it'll bless you, and uh, God will speak to us through it. But um, the title of today's message is Call to Liberty. You know, Christianity is not a set of uh, rules to follow, uh, really. A lot of people think it is, that it's, you know, A, B, C, D, do this, stand up, sit down, turn around, uh, you know, take communion, whatever. Uh, but that's not it, you know. Christianity really is a life of freedom. And I'm sure we all know that to some degree, but uh, it's definitely good to remember because, like we were talking about, things get in the way of our relationship with the Lord. We begin going through the motions. We begin... Um, doing all sorts of different things that really God has not really asked us to do really primarily. You know, Jesus said in John 10.10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Uh, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And this isn't the idea of that we're going to have an overflowing bank account per se, or that we're going to have a million friends or, um, you know, a thousand vacation days a year, whatever it is, that our life would be more abundant in our eyes. But really, that we would have life that's not capable, that uh, an earthly life that really is heavenly qualities, that the life that we live on earth is going to be more abundant than it could ever be through gaining anything on earth. You know, Solomon was very wise. He asked for wisdom, and God gave him wisdom. But he went on his way, and he tried to seek out life and find um, fulfillment in all the things of life. If you read Ecclesiastes, and you see they didn't find it in those ways. Uh, but Jesus wants to give us eternal life, um, and really this life that does not run out. I mean, you and I, we probably go through the week, you know, we get up Monday, we're like, all right, another week, another Monday, you know, we get through Wednesday, hump day, we get over the middle of the week, and we keep going, and then by Friday, we're probably, ah, week's over, or Saturday, ah, week's over, and we're probably pretty exhausted, if, you know, if you're like me, or you got uh, lots of work to do, two jobs, maybe kids, whatever it is, it just takes a lot out of you. But the life that the Lord gives us will never run out. You know, if we're feeling burned out or run down or uh, whatever the case may be, you know, we just need to turn to the Lord and he's going to give us life. I mean, I can speak to that this week. I've been like way uh, burned out in a sense this week. I don't know, just a heavy week. But just spending a little time with the Lord, even this morning, has uh, really given me uh, strength. But life was not meant to be constrained. Um, you know, you guys have been to the National Zoo. We went to the National Zoo recently. We tried to meet up uh, with Shawnice, but just through the, the way the things work, it never quite works out. Um, you know, our kids get too hot and sweaty and tuckered out by the time we're there for an hour, and you guys get held up in the train. But um, those animals there, they're not really meant to be constrained that way. Not that there's necessarily anything wrong with the zoo. They take care of them. It's nice to go see them. You know, they, you know they really have a cushy. They don't really have to worry about anymore about being killed every day or... Or dying they just hang out and it's a resort life pretty much but um, life in a sense was not meant to be constrained that way you know you think about being a kid at school at recess even where you might get that little morning recess or after lunch recess where you go out there and perhaps it was a rainy day and they tell you to stay on the blacktop only at my school they said that you know we had blacktop and then we had uh, grass and some days it was blacktop only because they didn't want you to get all muddy and come back into school and so you'd be trying to play and do all these things, but you only had, you know, 40 feet by 40 feet to do it. Uh, but in other days, they'd let you free. Or, you know, when that bell would ring at the end of the day, you'd be like, free! And you'd run out to the bus or run home or whatever it was. You know, your life was no longer constrained. You could do whatever you wanted. Uh, but we're going to hopefully see a little bit of that in Galatians today. And maybe, um, you know, later on down the line, if we continue in Galatians here or there, uh, hopefully we'll see more of that. But... Uh, as we've been studying in Acts, we were just recently in introduced to a guy named Saul, and he hasn't yet come to know the Lord yet. He's been persecuting the church um, pretty heavily, as we began to see last week. In the next couple weeks, we'll, we'll see the transformation that the Lord has on his life. But this was written by Paul, and it was written around AD 52, so maybe 15, 20 years later after um, thereabouts, you know, it's a rough estimate, after where um, we just saw him, you know, holding Stephen's coat and everything. But the whole point of Galatians, really, that I think the core message of Galatians could be that the message is that the, we have freedom from the law. Freedom from the law. This guy who was so bound up in the law, um, later on he says he was uh, so uh, well-versed in it, more than his brethren, more than other people. He's the one out there preaching now. You're free from it. You're free from it. And I think the point is here that, you know, a lot of times we come to Christianity, we come to God, we get, to, we, we get our own faith. 
but we still think that there's these rules and regulations to follow that um, not that we don't have a life or that there isn't a standard that we should hold ourselves accountable to um, or have others hold us accountable to um, but really that we don't need to fulfill a law to be right with God anymore we're right with God because Jesus fulfilled it because Jesus did it on the cross our relationship with God is no longer based on works no longer based on a system of sacrifice in a sense um, where we have to do something but really it's based on God's love for us and God's grace for us and because of that grace we can live a life that um, that is pleasing to God and Galatians 1 1 through 13 um, uh, really is about being pleasing to God being pleasing to God so let's pray and we'll get into uh, a few verses here uh, Father we thank you for this day again Lord we thank you for your grace and the freedom that's in you that God, uh, Lord, we do need to live a righteous life, and I pray that you'd help us to do that, God, by your grace and by your spirit. Uh, Lord, uh, but Lord, we ask that you would help us to come to you with everything and anything and not base our relationship on you with uh, how well we've done or, uh, God, anything of that nature, but we would base it uh, solely on you, Jesus. We thank you for that. Please speak to us and encourage us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll read the first two verses here. It says, Paul an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me. You know, we'll stop there. It says, Paul, an apostle. You know, an apostle was a sent out one. It was one who, as we'll see in Acts uh, soon, that Jesus shows up, meets him on the road to Damascus, knocks him off his horse. He's blinded a few days. He comes to, he comes to faith uh, in the Lord, but he becomes an apostle. You know, he replaces Judas, so to speak. Uh, where really he's one who's encountered Jesus physically, and Jesus has physically given him uh, a direction and a call to spread the gospel. Um, I won't get too much into apostleship, but I believe the gift still exists today in the sense where people are called out to go be missionaries, or to go plant churches, or be a part of churches being planted. But none of us are the 12 apostles. None of us were there in those cool robes, <laughs> you know, meeting Jesus and being sent out and knocked off our horse in the same sense because the gospel already exists. The Bible's already been written. You know, the last page of the Bible's been written. There's no need for us to be an apostle in the sense where we're going to go out and write a new gospel. No, we're going to continue in the doctrine of the apostles, which is the New Testament. But he says here that it's a calling not from men or through men, but through Jesus Christ. And God the Father, insisting that this guy says it because he was so well educated in their day in the law and in the, um, uh, the Sanhedrin and in the whole system that, that raised him up uh, to where it was by man, where you had to go through, uh, he sat under Gamaliel and where he had to go through this whole process of being vetted, of being someone's disciple, so to speak, in their religion. You know, but he says here that it's God's calling. That's the one who raised Jesus from the dead, the one who's called him and made it possible. No, no man came up to Paul and gave him a little booklet and a pamphlet that said, 1995, take a couple classes, you'll be apostle. No, it was Jesus who showed up to him. And I think it's interesting that today we have seminary. And not that there's anything wrong with seminary. I think it's very good to go to Bible college. I think, you know, if God's calling you to do that, you should do that. Uh, but on the flip side of that, that just because you went to Bible college or just because you went to seminary does not mean God's call has been placed on your life. Um, you know, I could go to medical school, but I'm probably not going to pass. I'm not smart enough. But even if I did, it doesn't actually mean that that's what God's best plan for my life is. You know, if I went to the military or even doing graphic design or whatever, these things may not be God's best uh, plan for our lives. It really has to be his call. I mean, we look, we talked about Moses recently. And how Moses was raised up in Pharaoh's household. But at some point he realized, this is not God's plan for my life. I have to go and be a part of my people. The Bible talks about, uh, I think it's in Hebrews, where it says that Moses says he rejected the ways of Pharaoh to go be about the ways of God. And we see how God brought Moses through 40 years in the wilderness to go and be prepare him to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Uh, we also see Jesus in the wilderness before his public ministry begins, where he's tempted there. We see Paul even will end up being in the wilderness for a few years and going away and really reconciling all the things that he had been indoctrinated in his life and all the things that God was working in and through him before God calls him to go out and actually fulfill the role of being an apostle. And all that was before ministry. Um, and again, none of them went to school for it. None of these guys went to school. We see uh, Peter and the other apostles, they all marvel when people hear them and they go, we realize these guys aren't educated. These guys didn't go to 10 years of school. They weren't raised up in the temple. They weren't raised up by the priests. 
we see that God's hand is on them. And not that, again, not that God's not going to use those things. Maybe God uh, will call you to Bible college. Maybe God will call you to go to, to do missions work for a while to really train you up and get ready. But I think that those things are really just external markers. Those things are really additional things because the real working of God happens in the wilderness. The real, you know, meat and potatoes, so to speak, of having your faith worked out is through hard times and through difficult circumstances. You know, what's important is not what man says about us, not what degrees we have on the wall. They are important to a degree, but they're not the most important thing. Um, but really, it's what God says about us. You know, because many people may look on at you or I and say, oh, you're not fit for the kingdom. You're not fit to do this or do that. What qualifications do you have? Well, who are they to judge? Who are they to judge? Yeah, if your life doesn't live up to the standard and God's call is on your life and this person's a personal God, they may be right. But I think maybe hopefully you hear the heart of what I'm saying is that when God puts a call in your life and God works it out through your life, maybe it'll take 40 years of the wilderness. I don't know. But God's the one who made you. So God's the one who has the right to say, this is right for you and this is wrong for you and this is what I have for you. But it's important here that Paul says that it's through Jesus Christ. You know, that's where everything comes from. Salvation, life. The Bible says that he holds all things together and all things have their being. Um, you know, whether our friends or things in life, that they need to come through Jesus. That the call into the ministry, the call even to Christianity comes through Jesus. You know, the Holy Spirit brings you to Jesus. He doesn't bring you uh, somewhere else necessarily to put your faith in. Maybe he brings someone in your life to introduce you to the Lord, but it's all just to bring you to the Lord and not anywhere else. You know, and he says, who raised Jesus from the dead? You know, who raised him from the dead? Was it a doctor? No, it was the Father. That the same one who calls you is the same one who raised Jesus from the dead. And I think that that's important that when we look at being free and pleasing God is that it all starts with Jesus being freed from death. That Jesus took upon the penalty of sin upon his body, that we might be free of sin, but also that he was freed from death, where he was rose again after three days, and we no longer have to be worried about death. We no longer have to be bound in a life that's constantly concerned about dying. Oh no, I'm going to die in 10 years. Oh no, I'm going through a midlife crisis. Let me get my Corvette and let me you know, go play golf as much as I can. You know, not that there's anything wrong with those things necessarily, but our lives no longer are lived under the shadow of death. We are free to live that abundant life um, that isn't bound anymore you know first corinthians 15 51 through 57 says behold i tell you a mystery we shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality so when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that was written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O haze, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Basically that, man, death, sin, and the law are all tied together. That the law shows us what sin is, when we commit sin, it really brings us to death. And that's really, what is death? Life apart from God. Um, and ultimately, eternal life apart from God is eternal death in hell. Uh, but he says, because Jesus fulfilled the law, because Jesus is raised from the dead, they have no victory over us anymore. They have no power over us anymore. Uh, they've been defanged. Um, you know, you don't need to worry about something that's been defanged. I mean, I, you know, I, maybe you see a skunk or a skunk at the zoo and maybe they've taken the scent glands out of it. I'm not going to be the one to find out. But it's, that's, that's the same thing with death. It can no longer put its stink on our life anymore. It's, it's had its scent glands removed. Yeah, it still exists. Yeah, we still may bump into it one day, but we no longer have to worry about being uh, coated in its scent anymore. We're free from that. But again, no one has power over death but God. You know, he made life. And he defeated death. You know, man is trying. Where all these talks about for the past 20 or so years about uh, cryogenically freezing people. Uh, you know, Walt Disney's head or somebody's cat or dog. They freeze for, you know, hopefully in the future that they'll be able to resuscitate them. Uh, Google uh, has this life science program that's going on to try and figure out how to give people eternal physical life. They're really trying to figure out how to make people better, heal them, and eventually transfer your consciousness over. I know it sounds crazy, but it is. And I think in some sense, um, 
these pursuits are noble. You know, I'm glad we have medical professions. I'm glad we work about how trying to, um, you know, grow different organs to be organ transplants. I'm glad we try and figure out how to make someone who is blind have sight again or is lame fix their back or these things. I'm glad that we try and figure them out. But again, what is the point? What is the ultimate point in these? Uh, I think the, the motive lately is really about trying to find eternal life. And it's really kind of interesting. Um, or even making artificial life. Uh, a lot of things have been coming out recently about now, these uh, progress that they've been making and making synthetic cells and things like that. But again, we see if we're going to touch on the end times, these times that we're living in, the Bible talks about the Antichrist is going to have a false resurrection where the Antichrist is going to be wounded. It says he's going to be wounded in his head and, um, and in his hand, you know, possibly an assassination attempt, possibly something else. And, and really the idea is that he's going to have this false resurrection where people are going to think he's dead and maybe he's possessed by the, the devil afterwards. And, you know, I'm not going to get into all the specifics of that, but he comes back to bring about this false resurrection. You know, and again, you know, we can resuscitate people but that's not real resurrection. We can bring people back to physical life, but that's not the abundant life that Jesus promised. It's not the free life that Jesus promised, you know? We can keep bringing someone back from the dead, but eventually, you know, if we stop doing what we're doing, we're gonna die. I think that's the same way in our Christian faith. If we don't consistently go to the Father to receive that abundant life, we're gonna start to wane out. We're gonna start to get really weak and tired and lame, and, and not that we're not gonna go to heaven, so to speak, but really that, man, our lives aren't going to have the same uh, life and, and jump in their step anymore. But when we're a believer, we're born again. We have new life. You know, uh, Jesus was uh, speaking, and he talks about he has to be born again. And, uh, you know, the guy was like, well, do I have to go back in my mother's belly? He goes, no, it doesn't work that way. We have a new life. We're born again. That the life that we have in us now is God's life. And if God is in us and God has power over death, our lives should be different. They should be different. Verse 3 says, Grace to you and peace um, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of God and Father, our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And he says here, he's writing to the churches in, in Galatian. Um, these churches are in north central Turkey, uh, modern day Turkey. They were named for the Gauls who took over from France, Belgium, Switzerland, northern Italy. Uh, so there's these mix of people here, uh, but it's interesting that Turkey was uh, a site of a lot of Paul's missionaries journey. A lot of the churches were in Turkey. Um, you know, the gospel is already beginning to spread outside of Israel and outside of the Middle East. Persecutions happen. The church is growing. It's beginning to spread uh, into other parts of uh, Asia, I guess you could call it over there, but really into Europe these days. Um, but he says to the churches in Galatia that there are multiple churches that this was written to. And again, you know, you don't need to come to this church. You don't need to go to any particular church. You know, I'm, I'm glad to hear that Pastor Jeff and uh, DC Metro, they're joining with that uh, Barcroft Bible Church next week. And I hope and I pray, I've been praying for them. I hope you guys would pray for them too, that that would go smoothly and go well. I'm sure there's a lot of complications. But again, it's these are God's churches. And yeah, they had different quote-unquote names on the door. But it's still God's church. It's still a good church. And again, you don't have to go to this church or that church, but you do need to go to a good church. You do need to go to a church that teaches the Bible, that really loves God, that's not legalistic or caught up in strange doctrine, but that's caught up um, really in the truth. You know, and again, what, what's a good church? It's one that teaches and lives by what? The gospel. The gospel. Well, what is the gospel? Well, Paul says, um, you know, it's grace and peace. First of all, it's God's riches, unmerited favor. Um, you know, when God pours out his grace on us, it's, it, there's an acronym, I guess it is, God's riches at Christ's expense. That because Christ died for us, we're now free to receive all the good things of God. You know, it's ice cream after you've been disobedient. It's, man, we screwed up, but God still wants to bless you. And that's the heart of the freedom of the gospel is that, yeah, we messed up big. Yeah, we need to repent and we need to turn around. But you know what? God's not just having mercy on us and covering our sin. But he's giving us abundant life. He's giving us gifts on top of that. There's so many times when, yeah, I need to discipline my children. But there's times, too, when I discipline them and I cut it short and I bless them on top of that. I give apple juice or a cookie or something afterwards. And I say, I love you. And I want you to know that I love you and that this is what grace is. And I know they're probably way too young to understand that. But I hope it sets a precedent in their life that, yeah, yeah, I do discipline them. And there are times when they're definitely not getting a cookie. But I want them to see that sometimes they are going to get grace, even when they don't deserve it. 
because I don't want them ever to think that they're just going to get rewards based on the good that they've done because that's not the way God is with us at all. You know, Jesus didn't come because we were good or we deserved it. He came because God loves us, you know, for God to love the world that he gave his only begotten son. But it also brings peace. You know, peace is the idea of the exemption or the rage and havoc of war. Um, but it's also a calm and quiet soul. The idea that the gospel is that we were at war with God. We are at enmity with God. The Bible says that because of our sin, we are actively going against God. And God says, I want you to have peace from that war that rages between you and I. I don't want there to be anything between us anymore. I want you to lay down whatever weapons you have against me. And I certainly don't want to bring my wrath against you. Um, and I want you to have peace. And that peace is related to that abundant life. Because how often in life are we also all tied up in, in not having peace? You know, your car breaks down, something goes wrong at work, you have trouble with a relationship in your life, and all of a sudden everything's out of whack because you have no peace, because your peace was tied up in these external things. And God says, I don't want these, your life to be tied up in, in just living. I want your life to be tied up in me. That way when this life inherently does go crazy, when there is havoc, you can still have peace. And that's what the gospel does is that, you know, it could also be translated salvation, that the gospel brings grace and peace. The gospel brings salvation, that we are saved not only from death and from the, uh, the uh, consequences of sin in our life, but that we're saved from living a mediocre life. We're saved from living a normal life that, that most people, when they go through hard things, their life is hard. They get down. We are free from that. We don't have to be down. I get down all the time. It's like something that God just put in me that I need to depend on him and, and have him bring me out of it. And I know that if I don't have peace about a situation, it's either I haven't brought it to the Lord, I haven't spent time with the Lord, or I'm actively sinning against something that God has said for me to do. God says, go over here, and I go over here, and I go, I don't have any peace in my life. Well, it's because I went the wrong way, or I haven't heard from him. But I ask us, you know, do we have peace at home? You know, with our parents, you know, uh, if you're a kid or uh, with your siblings, with your friends, um, at school or at work, with God or with yourself, is there peace? I don't mean have peace with yourself in the new age idea where you sit around and think about your navel and, oh, I have peace. But really, do we have peace? Like, man, is my life in the right place with the Lord? Is there sin in my life that, that needs to be dealt with? You know, and people today, they want peace. People are crying out for peace, and I don't blame them. The world is full of anything but. Uh, but the problem is, is that the world does not want peace God's way. They want peace their way, and that comes through more laws, more jurisdiction, more, you know, uh, getting rid of morals and things that they think that that's going to bring peace, but that's not it. There's only one way to peace, and that's Jesus. You know, Isaiah 9, 6 says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That if we really want peace on earth, we have to go through the one whose name is Prince of Peace. We can't go to anyone else, you know. You want a, a hamburger, you go to a guy who's known for making hamburgers, you know. You want to go to a Chevy, you go to a Chevy dealership. You want to get a Ford, you go to a Ford dealership. You're not going to go somewhere else to get something. You can't expect... Um, you know, if you want good banana bread, don't ask me to make it. <laughs> ask my wife to make it. She'll make it way better. But it's the same thing. We can't, we can't expect to find peace in anything but the one who created peace. And more than that, the one who really is peace. But he says that he gave himself for our sins. You know, there's no one else. There's no way else. There's no other way um, other than Jesus because he's the one who did it. He's the one who makes the way. Um, you know, the verse about... Uh, you know, a thief again, again, that there's a door and there's a door on the sheepfold and uh, the shepherd is the one who goes through the door. The thief hops over the wall to try and get the, the sheep. And that's the same way, you know, the only way to get into heaven is through the door and that's through Jesus. But the point is, is that, you know, he put us in the garden of Eden to begin with. We sinned and we had to leave the garden. And that brings us to the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus suffered and uh, prayed for us and bled, um, you know, those sweat, those drops of blood for us. But why? That he could bring us back to another garden in the new heavens and the new earth. That he would, through these gardens, bring us back to where we were supposed to be. And Paul says here that the whole point of that is to, to deliver us from the present evil age. And I have to think that, man, if Paul was saying that his day and age was evil, what would he say about our day and age? I would say that our day and age has uh, got to be at least the same amount of evil 
if not better. Because if you read the news, you see, wow, things are getting crazier every single day. You know, the things we talk about, like abortion and stuff that they teach uh, kids in school and stuff that even kids are doing to each other at young ages in school. Um, it's pure evil. It's pure evil. You hear about these uh, people on TV or the politicians or the viewpoint that is put on these television shows that is said that, you know, if you don't agree with it, that there's something wrong with you. But if you step back and really listen to what they're saying, you go, this is wicked. These viewpoints are evil and they're wrapped up in in all sorts of uh, politically correct niceties. But again, if we remove the Prince of Peace, this is what we get. We take the one who is peace out of our society, out of our thinking, out of our lives personally, even as believers, what are we going to get? Anything but peace. Um, You know, that I don't know if you ever saw that old bumper sticker I had as a kid, and I guess it's still around, but it says, no Jesus, no peace, like N-O Jesus, N-O peace, and then no Jesus, K-N-O-W, uh, Jesus K-N-O-W peace that you know if we know God we're going to have peace even when there's no peace to be had around us why because again our life comes from God our life is abundant and it comes through him uh, not through external factors but it says here uh, to whom be the glory forever and ever you know Jesus will always be glorified Jesus will always be in heaven he will always be alive and the question is really kind of posed to us do we want to have a part in that Do we want to put down what we've been putting ourselves in and and having a part in to take hold of of what's really um, going to last? And that's freedom, even the ability to do that, that without the Lord, we don't have the ability to do that. We can only go from one thing to another, one slave owner to another slave owner, one boss to another boss, one addiction to another addiction, one relationship to another relationship until we're freed by by the Lord. Uh, Let's go on. Verse 6 says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, uh, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have uh, received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. And he says, I marvel. Um, not marvel like the movies that are coming out, like uh, Avengers and all those things. Um, but really, again, to wonder and have astonishment. That Paul's saying when he's thinking of the Galatians, that he's writing them this letter. You know, he brought them the gospel. He's writing them the letter and he's going, what is going on with you guys? I don't know if you've ever had a friend like that or you've been that person or someone says that to you that they're like, what are you doing? Or maybe you even said it to yourself like after you've done something really embarrassing, you're walking away, you go, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? And that's sort of what Paul is saying here. It's like, what are you guys thinking? What are you doing? Like, this is absolutely crazy that you're turning away, that you're turning away. You know, repentance is turning away from our sinful lives and turning towards God and saying that the way I want to live life is absolutely wrong. And I realize that in the light of you, and I want to uh, be different, so I want to follow you. But they had done that already. They had turned to God, and, and yet, maybe it was a couple of weeks, maybe it was a couple of years later, something happened, and they began to turn away to a different direction. Um, you know, and I ask, you know, if we've repented, why or what would cause us to turn another direction? Like, what on earth is going to get us to go any other way than Jesus? I mean, if we've repented, we've realized that God is who he is, that he can give us what he can give us. And why would we ever turn away from that if we're rationally thinking? And I think about GPS. You ever get uh, wrong directions on GPS? You know, it was raining the other day and I, t- I took my uh, wife's truck to work. Um, you know, I didn't have much gas in my car either. So I was running late. So I just took her car and her GPS, uh, the maps were a little outdated, I guess, before um, the ICC or 200 was built. So it thinks I'm like driving through the woods, you know, it's like a park and the arrows going through and everything. So thankfully I didn't need to rely on it. Um, but it was just kind of funny. You know, I don't know if you ever read those stories about people who ended up driving off the road because they were following their GPS to the letter. You know, I, I read about these like luxury cars. It was a couple years ago. It was like all in the news where, um, you know, a guy's got his BMW and a GPS and he ends up in a ditch somewhere. And they're like, well, what happened? He's like, well, the GPS said to go this way. You still have the responsibility to, to, to go, well, that doesn't look like my car can go down there. Or you've seen those videos maybe of like the guy driving the truck and he doesn't know how high the bridge is and he hits the bridge and the top of the truck comes off or he gets stuck. You know, it's the same way. You know, 
we have a GPS. We're listening to God's Spirit and we're reading the Bible and it's giving directions how to live. So if we start to deviate from the GPS that God has given us, the directions God has given us, it's probably because we're listening to something else. Probably because we've listened to maybe our co-pilot or the guy in the backseat driver or we don't quite believe what the directions are telling us. Um, you know, just as if you change your destination, you're going to end up on a different road. The same thing if we change our destination in the gospel. Same thing if we put our faith in something else other than the gospel, our destination is going to be different. Our path in life is going to be very different depending on who we believe and what we follow. Um, even to the point where you believe one thing, you're going to go to heaven. You believe another thing and you're not going to get there because it's the wrong directions. Um, yeah, you go, well, the wor world is round, so if I just keep going south, eventually I'll come back and be north and back where I started. Well, maybe, but it, you know, it doesn't really work that way. You know, if you want to go to Disneyland or Disney World, it's two different directions from here. You know, you're going to get to one or the other. And that's what the gospel is. It's about our eternal destination. It's not about rules and regulations for us to live now. The gospel says you can go to heaven. God wants you to go to heaven, but you need to be free to go there. You can't be shackled and get through the door at heaven. And that there are not many ways to get there, that you can't coexist. Yeah, you don't need to go out and hold a gun to someone's head and make them believe in, in that sort of sense of coexisting. But you can't take a little bit of Buddha. You can't take a little bit of Vishnu. You can't take a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of Darwin and mix them all together and say, well, this is my faith. And that's what we see so prevalent in the world today, that people think that having peace is having a piece of everything, that having a piece of cake and a piece of pizza, and that's a healthy meal. And no, it's not, but that sounds really good right about now. John 14, one through seven says, Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Remember he's saying, you believe in God, believe also in me, what I'm telling you here. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, uh, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. And how can we know the way? But Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. That Jesus says that, hey, believe in me. I am the way. So if you're with me, you don't have to worry. We're going somewhere. You're going where I'm going. I'm going up to heaven. I'm going to bring you to heaven. I'm preparing a place for you. You don't got to worry about anything because I've got it covered. But Thomas is like, well, I don't really know what that means. And Jesus says, you do. You do. It's simple. It's the gospel. It's me, Jesus says, that I am the way, the truth, and life. There's nothing else you need to look to anymore. You just look to Jesus. You feel lost? Jesus, help me. You feel tired? Jesus, help me. You feel like you need to be forgiven because you do? Jesus, help me. There's no one else you need to turn to. There's no one else primarily you need to turn to. You know, there's no different gospel. It is the gospel. Someone else comes claiming a different gospel. It's a different gospel. Someone adds anything to that message. It's not the gospel. I don't care what they name on it. Name it, claim it. Works, laws, Jesus and anything. Mormons. Jesus, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses. Jesus is the brother of Satan. No, he's not. It's a different gospel. It's brought to you by a demon. Coexist, Buddhism, whatever. If it's not Jesus, it's not the cross, it's not forgiveness by grace and grace alone, it's not the gospel, guys. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's marveling. He's like, you know this, you get this. Why have you turned away so soon? You know, he says, why? Well, he says, some who trouble you. That people came into the Galatian church. People came into this area. Maybe even people in the church began to believe something else, began to preach something else. And it troubled them. And if you're troubled, what don't you have? Peace. You know, if there's people outside making a ruckus at night, I don't really have peace. I'm going to go look outside. Maybe I'll call the cops. Maybe I'll go out there. I don't know. But I'm not going to sit here and have peace and not worry about my kids in the other room if something's going on outside. And thankfully, nothing goes on here. It's a quiet neighborhood. But really, I wouldn't have peace. And that's the gospel. If you don't have peace in what's being taught to you, either... You have to deal with some issue in your life. I don't like what's being taught. You know, I can't believe you believe that or that's really what God would say. Is God really that way? I've read the Old Testament and God says a lot of harsh things. Well, either you're wrong or God's wrong. And I'm going to leave it to you to decide which, which is which. But when we come to trust in the gospel, 
we're always going to have peace. Even if that means, man, I got to give something up or man, something in my life has got to radically change or, oh man, God's going to get me through this. I don't know how, whatever it is that there's going to be peace somewhere in there. But the question is, will we believe it? You know, Romans 10, 8 through 11 says, what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach that if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. That's the gospel. You believe in your heart? You say it with your mouth? That's it. That's all you quote unquote have to do. And that's really not a lot of doing. We believe a lot of things and say a lot of things without having to do much. Uh, but they pervert the gospel here. That These people who are coming in are really perverting the gospel. They're adding something to it. They're changing their ingredients and it's not the same anymore. Um, you know, people get upset because it's going to be changed. If you ever think of, um, you know, Coca-Cola when they came out with Coke 2 in the 80s or New Coke and people had an uproar or they changed whatever it is. They changed the, the cast on your favorite show. People get upset because it's not the same anymore. And that's the same thing. Anytime you add anything to the gospel, it's not the gospel. I don't care what you call it or whether Jesus is still in there somewhere. If something's different than what Jesus has brought to us, it's, it's not the gospel. You know, Revelations 22, 18 through 21 says, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to them the plagues that are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. That man, God says, Revelation is important. I want you to see what judgment is coming on earth, but I also want you to see that you have a home in heaven, and the only way to get there is through the Lord. And if you change that at all, if you get rid of my message and cloud my message at all, man, you're going to be in trouble because not only are you leading others astray, but you obviously yourself have gone astray if you believe anything else. Um, you know, they're coming out with Star Wars again, which a lot of people are excited about, but a lot of people were upset when George Lucas changed scenes in the old Star Wars. He added things and took things out and did CGI everywhere. All the purest fans were in an uproar. And the same thing should be for us. When people begin to change and prefer the gospel, we should step up and say, no, that's not what the Bible says. Not in a self-righteous tone. I know better than you, but really, no, because, because why? It's dangerous. It's dangerous. You know, if you add another person to your marriage, other than kids... It's not marriage anymore. It's not marriage anymore. And it's the same thing with Jesus. We can't add anything to our relationship with him. Otherwise, the whole relationship breaks down because the whole relationship is based on one thing, Jesus on the cross. We don't need another book. We don't need another teacher. We don't need a secret decoder ring to kind of figure out what the Bible says. We just need Jesus. Yeah, we need the Holy Spirit. Yeah, we need good Bible teachers. Yeah, we need other believers to help point us in the right direction. But our relationship, there shouldn't be anything that clouds in the way of you spending time with the Lord. There should be nothing between you and praying. There should be nothing between you and doing anything other than getting in the Word. There should be nothing between you and spending time in worship or hanging out with other believers. There should be nothing that comes between that relationship with you and God. There's no magnifying glass that you need. Now, there are things we need to obey, again, like we talked about before, because we're saved, because we love God. But these things don't save us. It's the same thing like in a marriage. There's certain things I'm not going to do. There's certain things my wife is not going to do. There's certain, I'm not going to go out on a date with someone else. My wife's not going to go out on a date with someone else. I'm not going to have a relationship with someone else. Not because necessarily, you know, if I do that, I'm not married anymore. There would still have to be, uh, you know, to, to end a marriage, you still have to go through all sorts of paperwork and a legal process. Doing that act doesn't break the, the marriage in the government size, but really... It breaks it in God's eyes. It breaks it in your spouse's eyes. And again, these things don't make us married. You know, just because I, I wouldn't date someone else or just because I didn't live with anyone else doesn't make me married. It's because I've had that covenant relationship with my wife. And that's the same thing with God is that we, we obey God. We want to live out the law, so to speak, and do live righteously because we're saved. Because we love God and know he loves us, we go, man, I don't want to do anything to hurt God. I don't want to do anything to come between them. I even see it with my kids. When my kids disobey and I have to bring down the law, so to speak, and my daughter will start crying, I, like, it breaks my heart. But on the other hand, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad that you're upset that 
that me being upset and there being a break and disconnect between us upsets you. And I hold her close and we pray and things always get better. I love seeing that um, in a sense because I know that, man, I want her to have a relationship with me that, man, that there would be nothing between us, that it would upset both of us if there's something between us. You know, I even tell her, I'm like, Mia, I don't want to discipline you. I don't want you to be disobedient because I don't want there to be anything between us. I don't like doing those things because I love you. Um, you know, Galatians gets into these details a little bit later in the book, um, but we're going to look at just a, a, these, these same couple verses, 8, 9, and 10, that we've read um, as we close out here in a few minutes. But let's go over them again. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, then what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than, than you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. He says, even if we come to you with another gospel, even if Paul, even if Timothy, even if Peter, if, even if the pastors you trust bring you something else, watch out. You know, it doesn't matter who's telling you. Um, mom, dad, strangers, a pastor, Kanye, Kim, whoever, they bring you something else, don't believe it, no matter what kind of relationship with you, with you have them. Um, it, this is, the Bible says it's wrong. I think it's interesting that he says, um, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. That this person is already accursed because they're believing in something else. So let them be accursed. You know, Just let them uh, have at it. Um, or he says, or even if an angel from heaven, you know, even an angel, even an angel comes to you. Well, an angel came and told me this. So, so they're telling you something wrong. Um, you know, remember one third of angels fell with the devil. One third of the angels here that may come to you with a different gospel. Don't believe in God anymore. have turned from him. You know, Mormonism, the angel Moroni. Hello, an angel named Moron shows up and gives you another gospel. Don't think about it. Seriously, they've ignored that verse. Islam. Uh, uh, Muhammad was uh, thought demons came to him and gave him this message in a cave. He goes home to his wife and his wife goes, no, they're not demons. It's from God. It's a message from God. Again, be careful what you're listening to. Even if your wife tells you, listen to those demons or people nowadays with aliens. Hello. So, you know, we get into a whole big one with that one. Again, if anyone, Paul repeats it because why it's important. If anyone comes to you with another gospel, I don't care who they are, even if it's yourself and you start believing something else or turning to something else, don't go with it. Don't go with it. You know, let him be accursed, you know, again, because you probably won't be able to change their mind. You know, I've had guys come to my door before and I've hashed it out with them, but at some point you just have to say, all right, you know, go about your own way because God's got to do the work here. I can't change your mind. And the more I try and change your mind, the more I'm going to get wrapped up in it. Um, Titus 3, 9 through 11 says, Avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about what? The law. For they are unprofitable and useless. Useless. Reject the device of man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. That this person coming to you with another gospel or even wants to just have a, a Christian discussion with you about can a Christian drink or can a Christian do this or what does the law say about this? Yeah, there's some extent where it's good to hash things out. But man, when you realize that this person's a fool, like the Bible says, or that this conversation is going nowhere, say, all right, I've had enough. You know, this isn't going anywhere. It's unprofitable that anything we do from this point forward is not good for you it's not good for me and it's a waste of time um, again because it's about division that this person is trying to divide you they're trying to get you on their side or you're trying to get them on your side and it's really unprofitable you know there's a lot of Christians out there who don't believe the same things we do and they're still going to heaven either they're wrong or we're wrong and I'm not going to get an argument all day about pre-trip post-trip I'll give you my my quote-unquote view on it but at the end of the day do you believe in Jesus okay great do you believe in salvation through grace alone? Okay, great. All right, you want to wear that? You want to do that? Fine, whatever. That's between you and the Lord. But I'm not going to argue with it about all day because it has no uh, eternal good. You know, again, like Jesus said in John 10, uh, uh, if someone climbs up another way, like we talked about, other than the door, they're a thief uh, and a robber. You know, again, the enemy wants us to be divided, wants us to be separated from Christ, from those who love us and the church. That's the way anybody's going to come in. He's going to want to break your relationship with off of Jesus, whether it's through your sin and you feel you can't go to confess it, whether it's the people you love in life, whether it's your church. Oh, I don't have to go to church today. Uh, you know, I can't say that. You guys come here. I have to go to church one way or the other. And I'm glad that way because it, it's good for me. 
Um, but again, these people, let them be accursed. Why? Because they are self-condemning. They're self-condemning. The Bible talks about, well, the words you spoke, they condemn you. Jesus is, I'm not even condemning you. It's the stuff you did. And again, when someone chooses anything else but Jesus, they've chosen to condemn ourselves, to condemn themselves. You know, God's salvation is free. If people don't want it, that's their choice. We can't make them believe. And so often, especially with family, sometimes you're like, come on, wake up, friends. Come on, wake up. And it doesn't happen. Well, keep sharing, keep loving, keep praying. But there's only so much we can do. And the reason why people don't turn, the reason why people don't like the real gospel really is because they're devoted to someone or something else. Their primary passion in life is something other than God. And really it's because sin is deceitful. You know, sin doesn't always look wrong, especially in the world today. There's a lot of sinful options out there that don't look wrong, so to speak. Um, you know, in fact, the worst forms of sin look right. We're all called right. It's okay to do that. It's all right. It's in your nature. You know, Paul said it's an evil day. And what's the point of the gospel? What's the point of the freedom? To rescue us, to save us from that evil day. And again, those who reject the gospel only reject it because they've accepted something else. If we want to hang on to something else, we're not going to receive the gospel. In the same way, if we've accepted the gospel, that means we're going to reject something else. Just like I've accepted my wife, I'm going to reject anyone else because I love my wife and I've made that covenant with her. And as we close here, Paul talks about, in verse 10, pleasing man versus pleasing God. And uh, what's the difference? Well, I think the difference usually is that people usually want us to do things to please them. Friends, coworkers, family. I mean, rightfully so in work. Your boss wants you to, to go do a good job and show up on time and, uh, you know, be respectful to them. That's reasonable. And obviously, it's going to please them if you do that. Um, or maybe it was that person in high school that you wanted to go out with. You thought you had, or even later, you know, you go out on that first date and you wear certain clothes in a certain way to try and impress and try and please them. But then you've been married for 10, 20 years maybe, and you're not really doing that anymore because you realize you don't have to please them. They're in the relationship with you. But God is pleased with us already through Jesus Christ. Again, there's a difference. We don't have to come to God and please him. He's pleased already. And that's freedom. That's freedom, guys, is when we are free because we don't realize we don't have to please God. Um, we don't have to please Him. And here's a little life lesson that I think I'm still trying to learn. We can't please everybody. I think about being popular. You know, you're probably going to have to make fun of certain people or compromise on certain things to be the most popular you can be. Or to be politically correct, you're probably going to have to give up some morals or some standards uh, to please everybody you know someone's always going to be offended and the world's all about not offending anyone today except those who are offended except those who preach the truth they can be offended because we don't want anything to do with them but it's the same thing we can't please everybody you know you try and please everybody someone's going to get upset eventually um you know especially in a relationship and again that doesn't mean that we're supposed to be offensive you know we're not supposed to be offensive because of sin um, if people find us offensive, it better be because of righteousness and not be because of sin in our lives. When the gospel comes out of us, the gospel should offend them, not the fact that we're preaching the gospel with foul, filthy language or our lives don't match up. You know, Jesus says, we're closing out here in Matthew six twenty four. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. We can't serve God and serve all our earthly desires. Not that God's not going to meet those desires. The Bible says that, you know, if we seek God, seek the kingdom first, he'll add unto the things that we need. You know, we have things in our life that are, are totally pleasing in a good way. Possessions, family, friends. But the thing is, we got them because we weren't seeking them first. And I can tell you, the things when I've sought them first, it's always been a headache. It's put me in debt or it's broken or I've been too worried about it or anything like that. I mean, you know how that goes. The same thing, God and money, calling versus career. God's got a calling on each of our lives, and sometimes that means saying no to career. I mean, Pastor Chuck Smith originally wanted to be a doctor because he wanted to help people, and God called him somewhere else. I have friends, too, that are really good at sports in high school and could have gone to a college level and possibly even further, but God got a hold of their lives early, and they said, I really can't spend all this time in, in practice anymore. I need to give it up so I can go be part of ministry. And, they're, you know, they're a pastor now, and they have a flourishing church, you know. Again, um, and Acts, when they told him not to preach in Jesus' name, and they said, obeying God is more important to us. And that brings us to our closing points here, that if we want to please God, we can't worry about pleasing people. Because if we please God, in a sense, didn't you just say we can't please God? Well, what I mean is if we're 
we're looking to do things God's way. We're looking to have a relationship with God where we don't get anything in our way between us and God. When we offend people, it's going to be for the right reasons. When we please people, it's going to be for the right reasons. People are going to be pleased. Oh, look at you. You know, you're, uh, There's plenty of unbelievers that have been pleased with me in my life because of godly things. And there's plenty of unbelievers and believers who have been displeased with me because of ungodly things for, right, for the right reasons. And again, if we're seeking to please God, Again, that whole idea of peace. We don't need to worry about who's happy with us and who's not because we know we're doing the right thing. Even if I get fired because I'm doing the right thing, at least my real boss is happy. Even if my relationship goes sour because I'm doing the right thing, well, at least my real, God, my real lover, my real best friend is happy with me. You know, real friends, they're going to lead you and they're going to encourage you to please God. You know, we all have, I think everyone in this room, we would all do that for each other. But I can think of other friends that I have in life that, man, they would always encourage me to follow after the Lord. And those are the ones who have stuck around, and I've stuck around with them. Um, but I encourage us all, if we don't have real friends, we need to get some. And I think that in this room, many good friendships are forming. But if your friends are trying to keep you from following God, you need to start backing away from those friendships. You know, I'm making some good friendships at work, and I love it. And I want to be an influence on them for Christ, and I want to be a good influence on them. But if I find myself wanting to, to break my relationship with the Lord for them, I'm going to have to back off a little bit and not say, I'm going to back off from you, but really, no, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go out tonight or, you know, at the expense of, Hey, maybe they won't like me anymore. Well, what's more important that God is pleased with me or, or other people are. And, and I submit to you as we close that Jesus can be our best friend. If we let him, if we let him again, we have to give him time in our lives. And that's been very convicting for me to give the Lord more time in my life, more time in my heart, especially in this season of, so many things going on because if I don't, man, it's I'm not going to have that life. But if I do and when I do, man, he wants to be your best friend. Even if you don't have any friends, Jesus can be your best friend. You know, the psalmist talks about that, that there is a, a friend who sticks closer than a brother, and, and that's Jesus. I think it's a proverb, but David's life really reflects that, that God wants to be our best friend, and God doesn't want there to be anything between you and him um, because he wants there to be that closeness and that peace and that abundance of life. Amen? Uh, Father, we thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you love us. Thank you, Lord, for life and life abundant and for friends. God, we pray you'd help us be good friends. That Lord, you'd help us to love each other and be there for each other. And God, you'd help us to give up the things that uh, are getting in the way or at least put them aside for a season and uh, help us to trust you and follow you, God, that uh, we might not lose track and, and go home to where you are and that others might see us going the right way and we want to go with and that we would show them uh, the right way. And we trust you for that. We pray for your blessings on this day and this week as we go forward. Help us to live for you, even on Monday and Wednesday and Friday. Be our strength this week, we pray, if you don't come. Uh, but we pray you would. In Jesus' name, amen. So God bless you guys.